Ranked by U.S. News & World Report among the top 10 rehabilitation hospitals in the nation, Shepherd Center specializes in medical treatment, research, and rehabilitation for people with spinal cord injury and brain injury. As a service to our community, we present Shepherd Center Radio with host Melanie Cole. Patients who are in a reduced or minimally conscious state following a traumatic brain injury are often not ready to begin an active rehabilitation program, but rehabilitation services are critical to optimize recovery until the patient emerges. My guest today is Dr. Ford Vox. He's a staff physiatrist at Shepherd Center. Welcome to the show, Dr. Vox. What is a DOC patient, and how does that differ from typical brain injury patient? Well, thanks for having me on, Melanie. So uh, a, a DOC patient or disorders of consciousness patient, uh, this can occur from a variety of different diagnoses. In this context today, we're talking primarily about traumatic uh, brain injury, those people who have been injured by some type of uh, external insult uh, as opposed to uh, perhaps the end stage or some other uh, disease process. So in disorders of consciousness patients, among this class, we're talking about people who are often quite healthy, perhaps before. Uh, they could sometimes be even quite young. We treat people in our program beginning at age uh, 13 uh, and up. Uh, obviously, a traumatic brain injury can occur to anyone of any age. Uh, in summary, a disorders of consciousness state uh, includes anywhere from uh, coma uh, to a vegetative state uh, when the sleep-wake cycle starts to return and people are kind of spontaneously opening their eyes during the day. Uh, and also the state we now know as minimally conscious, the minimally conscious state, and it's important to distinguish between vegetative and minimally conscious state. So where are they typically treated? So this is a problem we have in the American healthcare system that uh, Shepherd Center has really creatively addressed. Uh, there is not a specific place to treat these patients classically. They're left in a hole. Uh, because they are not uh, that so-called rehabilitative level of care, where classically you might think of a rehab patient being able to follow the instructions of the therapist. That would seem to be a key concept, and that's certainly a concept that most insurers uh, endorse, uh, understandably so perhaps. Uh, but now that uh, medicine has evolved, it's 2015, we have quite a lot uh, that we can do uh, to manage uh, patients who are in a state of disorder, disorder of consciousness state, both in terms of diagnostically determining really what level of consciousness uh, they are at and also preventing secondary complications. And we have a lot of work to do on the body of the patient so that uh, they're uh, able to fully participate in a rehabilitation program. We're able to get them uh, to that point. But going back to what I was saying about these patients being kind of caught in a, in a no man's land, uh, there, comes a pro there, there becomes an issue uh, when sometimes the acute medical phase, often centered around initial neurosurgery, ends. And these patients are often then sent to what's, uh, to what's called an LTAC, a long-term acute care facility, or to a skilled nursing facility. Uh, there are only a few programs like Shepherds around the country uh, where we are intensively treating these patients from a brain injury rehabilitation paradigm while they may still be unconscious. And we've been able to do that because we're very much capitalizing around the medical complexity of these, of these cases, and uh, we're seeing good outcomes. That's fascinating. What are the key elements of Shepherd's DOC program? 
So when it comes to the source of consciousness programming, it's key uh, in the first place that I think you've got to have the right clinicians involved. Uh, these are clinicians uh, like myself and my colleagues that are subspecialty uh, trained. Uh, we come from a variety of, of fields, people who can treat these patients uh, appropriately in terms of kind of being the captain of the ship, uh, uh, physiatry, such as my field, or, or neurology. There's a, a new specialty in medicine now called uh, brain injury medicine, which just came online uh, last year. Uh, and we offer board certifications for that now and special training and fellowship programs for that. Um, in terms of um, what we're doing here and a key element of our program is we recognize that a, a lot of medicine still needs to occur in these patients. are often going back and forth between the OR as well. There may be a variety of plastic surgeries, orthopedic surgeries, neurosurgical procedures that need to be done. Shepherd Center is linked uh, to a tertiary care hospital called Piedmont Hospital, and we often use their ORs, for example. Uh, we have all the uh, other medical specialties around uh, here as well, consulting our patients for the variety of other polytrauma that may be associated with a severe traumatic brain injury, for example. Uh, in terms of the key element of the program is, is keeping close track of the patient's emergence of their level of consciousness. We use a behavioral scale called the JFK Coma Recovery Scale, uh, revised, which takes special training uh, to uh, perform appropriately. It's a bit time-intensive. It's not something you're typically going to see deployed uh, at an acute hospital. And that is key, keeping uh, close track of the patient's emergence into consciousness in order to also detect fluctuations, which can be signs of adverse events that we need to uh, to treat soon. One common problem that I do see in patients who are coming to me uh, many weeks or months later are, are issues that we perhaps could have treated earlier um, and could uh, potentially lead to better outcomes. We, we do feel that uh, we're often uh, catching problems sooner, problems with the endocrine system, for example, problems with the fluid balance in the brain, uh, certainly problems with the musculoskeletal system before they lead to long-term issues. How do you measure the response in these reduced states of consciousness? Is this for the parents or for the loved ones, if they're sitting with this person, Dr. Vox, are they just sitting there all day waiting for this person to open their eyes, to wake up? Are you giving them exercise while they're there? Tell us a little bit about the whole process. So we actively, you know, get these patients up, start moving them. Uh, we're obviously trying to preserve uh, range of motion. We're stimulating all five senses. We're using different types of stimulant medications. Uh, the, we use a variety of medications. There's one for which we have fairly good evidence that it, te that it tends to shorten the amount of time that people spend in a DOC state. That's amantadine. And there was a good New England Journal of Medicine trial that came out in 2012 demonstrating that evidence. In individual anecdotal cases, we are seeing other things help as well, individual uh, cases. Uh, obviously, each TBI patient is fairly unique in terms of the constellation of contusions and injuries and so forth and the interplay with the other medical things that may be going on. Uh, in terms of uh, the therapy, um, a variety of problems may start in the body once you uh, develop a disorder of consciousness state. Uh, one common scenario is a disorder of the uh, autonomic nervous system, which is responsible for regulating our heart rate, uh, for regulating our, our blood pressure and sweating and so forth. And uh, this system can really go haywire. Uh, it leads to a situation we often refer to as, uh, uh, as paroxysmal sympathetic hyperactivity, uh, a.k.a. neurostorming. You may hear us use that term as well. And uh, this is a situation that is commonly treated with very heavy sedating types of uh, medications, uh, IV propofol, large doses of benzodiazepines. 
And uh, we're managing this state more successfully with uh, using milder medications for the brain, higher doses of uh, beta blockers, uh, uh, for example. And uh, uh, even IV Tylenol, known as uh, Ofermiv, is actually far more effective. It has very good uh, central nervous system penetrance and is able to uh, treat this state uh, more effectively. And then we're intervening early uh, with a uh, surgical procedure called uh, an implanted uh, intrathecal baclofen pump. This enables us to deliver a medication that's commonly given uh, orally at most centers and can cause some depression of the brain. If we deliver it directly to the spinal canal, actually we're able to see uh, much more improvement in terms of the storming state and treat the patient's spasticity uh, earlier, more effectively, so that later surgical procedures aren't required to release contracted extremities, for example. Tell us about the predictive emergent model Shepherd Center is producing. That's right. So Shepherd Center is blessed in the fact that uh, we do have a a research department uh, here, and we have full-time researchers who collaborate with our clinicians. And uh, in terms of our predictive emergence model, we also recognize that uh, when it comes to DOC, um, we're uh, certainly uh, among the largest centers in the United States, probably uh, the largest. We took a uh, collection of of over uh, 200 of our patients and looked for what markers that we could find, uh, statistically speaking, that helped project and predict uh, whether they would emerge over the course of their inpatient hospitalization during the DOC program at Shepherd. And uh, using that model, we're able to build a retrospective database to compare any given patient uh, going forward with. Uh, So this is a unique way of doing research where it's very difficult in this population, given that although we talk about relatively large numbers uh, uh, here at Shepherd, those large numbers still pale in comparison when you're talking about some other uh, medical condition like, like heart disease or various cancers and so forth in terms of patients who are being treated in programs like these who have access potentially to research. Uh, it is still a very small population. So we need to be able to uh, compare patients retrospectively uh, to similar patients that we've treated before them. And this enables us to uh, basically, when we, when we do this biostatistical model, we can project with about 88% uh, uh, certainty whether the person is likely to emerge in our program <clears throat> if we just treated them the usual way. Uh, and then we can look at new interventions as they come down the pike, different types of medications and combinations that we want to try, other types of stimulant uh, interventions like the transcranial direct current stimulation or TMS, and then we can compare their outcome uh, versus what we might have expected uh, anyway. Uh, One general problem in brain brain injury medicine is the fact that uh, many patients are destined uh, to improve gradually over a long period of time. Uh, and a constant issue that we see it played out in the literature time and time again is small collections of patients uh, where a clinician gives drug X and uh, believes that drug X may be the difference between the patient's recovery. Um, but in actuality, we've got to be able to separate that from the natural recovery that we may, that we may expect. So I certainly don't you know, congratulate myself or pat myself on the back with every recovery that I see. Uh, we know in general uh, that uh, a program such as ours is, is certainly helping people uh, in terms of preventing secondary complications and seems to be uh, speeding recovery. But we've really got to start to parse out in this field where the big difference is between you know, the, the different things that, that we do. So um, we're very much, again, uh, capitalizing on our, our research department to, uh, to launch this program. We've just developed the model and are excited about the possibilities. 
In just the last minute, Dr. Vox, what do you want the listeners to know when they're considering DOC treatment for their loved one? So when you're looking at DOC treatment, um, you, you really want to find a place where you're going to have uh, confidence that basically uh, everything is being done uh, that can uh, be done. One common scenario that we get into is a fatalistic model where you have an unconscious patient who maybe has not responded well initially to the initial neurosurgery, and families are often too often told that this person needs to be uh, warehoused for a custodial care in a skilled nursing facility for an indefinite amount of time. Uh, I think in so many cases, and particularly when we're talking about younger people, that that is the wrong decision. I think you need to give your loved one the best opportunity in terms of uh, matching them with clinicians who are specialized in this field of medicine, which is brain injury medicine, who are going to be treated by subspecialist uh, therapists as well, uh, and and who have access uh, to uh, your creative thinking uh, as well. And it's not necessarily we're going to be able to keep every single patient in a program like ours until the day that they emerge. These are all uh, somewhat time-limited programs, typically on the order of four to six weeks or so around that initial phase. Obviously, we have various outcomes from our program. Some patients are emerging and going into a classic rehab program and on from there. For those patients who do not emerge, we view it as equally important, the fact that we are training the family uh, appropriately to be able to care for their loved one at home safely, keep them from bouncing back and forth between ERs and hospitalizations, and we're keeping track of those people so that hopefully they come back into our rehab program at a later date. I certainly applaud all the work that you're doing, Dr. Vox. Thank you so much for being with us today. You're listening to Shepherd Center Radio. For more information, you can go to shepherd.org. That's shepherd.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.